Uh, have you ever experienced or dealt with rejection in your life? I, I imagine most of us at some point or another, in, in small ways or in large ways, have experienced rejection. Um, well, you know, whether you've been the one who's uh, felt that rejection, or maybe you've even offered rejection. You've rejected someone, whether in a positive way or a negative way. I imagine it's something that we can all relate to in one way or another. See, if there's something that comes across in our life that, that seems inadequate, one of our responses to that could be to reject it. Maybe you order things online and all of a sudden it gets delivered to your house. You say, oh, this isn't what I expected, and you, you send it back. Um, I had a part on my car that we're trying to fix. We've got a road trip coming up for vacation, and uh, it's just a little door jar switch. It's a small little thing that was a pain in my butt for the whole past week as we're trying to find one of these. And uh, it was a third time around where we finally got the right one. But uh, when it was the second time around, I walked in, didn't have much time. I said, hey, let me see it. I looked at it. That's not it. So I don't have time. And I, I walked out. I, mean, I was polite about it. But still, I, I kind of said, nope, rejected that. Let, let's move on to uh, attempt number three. Um, you know, if we receive an offer maybe from a, a potential suitor, uh, whether this is, think back in your past or maybe even uh, something that's going on right now in, in your life, uh, but they're maybe not your type or they're just not quite what you expected, okay, a rejection takes place there. And again, it can happen in a very positive way or in a very negative. Not only if something seems inadequate, but if something seems inappropriate. I mean, it's another common place where we reject something. Uh, so I, I got little ones, uh, I got an almost six-year-old, almost three-year-old, and a, and, and a newborn, and um, anytime we're, we're in the car and, and a song comes on the radio, I, I, my, my ears kind of perk up a little more to listen, okay, what's the song about, and, and what's the content, what are the, the lyrics, if a show's on television and the kids are in the room, really, I've come to this place of, do I really want to have a conversation about fill in the blank, and, and that's how I decide, okay, do I leave it on or not, you know, if it's like, if it's something that's a little questionable, well, do I really want to have this conversation right now with where they're at and development, all that kind of stuff? And if no, then we turn the channel or, or change the radio station. Um, but there's things that, I, that, that I'll reject for the time being because they're seen as inappropriate. You know, rejection can occur in all kinds of circumstances, in all kinds of situations, from the, the light and insignificant small little things. Hey, do you want pizza tonight? No, I reject that. Um, I'm not sure why you would, but it could. Um, to in, in more significant and, and heartfelt ways, uh, in deep ways that really have a significant impact in our lives. We can reject an offer of goods. Hey, do you want something to drink? No, thanks, I'm good. Um, hey, I got, I got a once-in-a-lifetime deal. I'll sell you this car for a thousand bucks, you know. Um, we, we can uh, reject those kind of things. Uh, we can reject the beliefs and viewpoints of others when you're talking to someone and say, hey, I, I, I believe this. Well, you know, I, I, I think differently. We can reject that sometimes. And sometimes it does go as far to where we're even rejecting other people. Like, have you ever felt like you were being rejected? Have you ever had that, that feeling, that emotion of almost being cast off or dismissed? It's not, it's not a good feeling. And sometimes this comes from superficial reasons. Maybe you felt rejected because of the way you look. When I got my first interview at, to have a position as a youth leader. It wasn't even a youth pastor role. It was just, hey, we're looking for someone to kind of run a junior high ministry. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if in some way um, I, I didn't initially get the job offer because of my appearance. Uh, I, I had, had spiky hair that kind of resembled the color of a tennis ball. I, I was looking for more bright yellow, but I kind of got that yellow-green tennis ball look, which I don't know why either one would be beneficial, but I did. And um, I, I was uh, painting throughout the summers, 
And, and when, you, when you're a painter, at least the way I would do it, you have to caulk different spots. And so I would caulk, and I'd put too much caulk in. I, I never quite learned how to, to mediate that. And so I'd put too much caulk in, I'd wipe it on my pants. I'd go to the next one, I'd wipe my pants. So my pants stood up on their own. I mean, they were just these solid caulk pants. And I was wearing the, that's what I was wearing to my interview because I had to go to work after the interview. Um, I had my eyebrow pierced, which, you know, again, wherever you're at with that kind of stuff, maybe you see that a certain way or it makes you question certain things. I didn't have any tattoos yet, but I was on that track and walking that road. And, and so it was me and, and a friend of mine from school, and, and he was actually offered the position. I, I, I was. I'm sure that there's other factors at play, but I got to wonder if in some capacity that was a part of it. Now, eventually, I actually ended up volunteering at that church and, and, and served there for quite a while. And it was a great experience. Um, but when I first started at that church, one of the dads of the junior high students pulled me aside and said, hey, yo, you're coming over for dinner. And it's kind of one of those as opposed to, hey, can you? Was, no, you're coming over for dinner. You let me know when. And so, you know, he's kind of a, a bigger, heavyset guy. had a quiet demeanor about him. And those are the ones that really kind of like, okay, I don't know what you're thinking. You're, give me something here. I'm like, you know, am I in trouble? You know, should I be concerned? Or is this like, hey, a meet and greet? And so uh, I go over to the place for, for dinner and, and basically just very heartfelt, very genuine, kind of, you know, after dinner pulls me aside and says, so, so what's up? Who are you? What, what are you about? Because he had a junior high son. If you're going to be having an impact in the life of my son, I, I want to know the man behind the piercings. That's kind of what he said. Because he, he had an issue with the eyebrow piercings. I, I want to know the man behind the piercing. Because we can be judged, we can be rejected because of the way that we look. Sometimes we're rejected, or maybe we at least feel rejected because of our beliefs, because of that which we hold true. Whether it's politics or religion, the two they say you shouldn't bring up, but hey, let's bring them up. Um, you know, it's a divisive thing sometimes where you find out I think differently than you or you think differently than me. or you, We see some of that, and sometimes it can lead to good, healthy conversation, but other times I'm sure we all have a story where we've shared a differing viewpoint and we've felt rejected. If you have kids or if you watch kids or there's kids in your life, you've probably seen there's different parenting styles. If we go at the two spectrums, on one hand, you have what's referred to as the helicopter parenting method, where you're basically hovering over your child, and you're batting away anything that could possibly hurt them, whether it be a stone or a cotton ball. You know, everything stay away. Um, to the other end, which is kind of taken on this term of free-range parenting, if you think of free-range chickens, which go and, you know, it's kind of the same mentality. But there's everything in between. So whether someone, you say, well, someone actually said that about me. Was that me? You know, but regardless, uh, it's one of those things where wherever you land on that, sometimes we can feel rejected because, oh, you do that differently than I do. Well, that's how you raise your kids? Oh, aren't you going to stop them from doing that? Or aren't you going to let them go have some more experiences? And I'm, this isn't the message we talk about what's right or wrong. Obviously, what's right or wrong is let's, let's raise our kids up in the ways of the Lord. Um, but the, the, these differences can bring about rejection in our lives. You know, I, I think if we're going to talk about this concept of rejection, uh, we need to acknowledge that sometimes we're rejected because we're just being a jerk. It's kind of the other side of the coin, right? Uh, we're not the victim in the situation. We're not the one who's being dismissed or being, well, we, we are, but we've kind of brought it on ourselves because we're being a jerk, right? Uh, um, you know, I think back to what, there's a time when I was in junior high and we were on a, a retreat. Um, it was a, like a field day, and there was a young lady I had interest in, and I was picking on her. And the teacher was right there, and, and the teacher said to this young girl, because she was getting annoyed because I was being annoying, uh, she said, well, by the way, um, boys pick on the girls they like. She said this right in front of me, right in front of her, and I'm like, no, they don't. That's stupid. <laughs> and then, you know, obviously she called me out. She, she was wise in her, in her teacherness and, and called me out. And, um, 
But obviously my advances were rejected. It's like the junior high boy punching a girl in the arm really hard and saying, hey, you want to go hang out? No. No, she doesn't. You know? And sometimes, you know, especially as guys, we don't figure that out. And we're young men or we're grown adults and we're still being a jerk at times. And that's why um, we're being rejected. We're not the victim, but we're the ones being a jerk. And like I said, this can be done sometimes kindly. Would you like this? No, thank you. But other times, it can be done without love and without concern for others and be done a little more harshly. And regardless of how it's done, rejection has the potential to bring pain, right? It can be done in the most loving way possible. Hey, I made this awesome thing for you. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I can't eat that. I'm lactose intolerant, whatever. We have to reject something for whatever the reason is. You can do it in a loving way, but that still has the potential for the person being rejected to feel or to experience pain in that, right? And sometimes that, that, that pain begins to take root. And also we, we not only have that pain, but we have a fear of future rejection, right? And, and that, that fear grows to a place where, you know, we just want to be embraced, we want to be liked, we want to be loved, and, and, but these experiences of rejection, that they challenge those feelings. And so it keeps us from living life the way we desire sometimes, right? Because we fear being rejected, so what do we do? We don't put ourselves out in a place to be rejected, right? So if I don't, if I don't offer anything, if I don't, if I don't live life, if I, if I don't um, put myself out there, I can kind of withdraw from life. I don't share my viewpoints, I don't share any opinions, I don't have any conversation, I don't build relationships, I'm not known by anybody. If they don't truly know me, they can't reject me. And the fear of rejection just causes us to maybe kind of pull into our shell like a turtle because we don't want to go through that pain again. But see, it's possible to overcome the fear of rejection. So I want you to hear this morning. This is the last week of our Overcome series, and we've been walking through uh, uh, each week, kind of building off of John 16, 33. It's going to be on the screen here, just to remind you of what it says. It says, I have said these things to you, this is the words of Jesus to his disciples. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, now do you remember why Jesus is sharing this with his disciples? Remember what's going on here? He's just about to go to the cross, right? This is looming. This is coming down the pipeline. He's just about to go to the cross. And he knows what his disciples are going to be feeling. They're going to see Jesus die on the cross. And they're going to be devastated. And he wants them to know, hold on. Don't, go, don't scatter. Hold on. Something more is coming. I have overcome the world. Because he knew on the third day he was going to defeat death and rise again. So he's trying to encourage them and give them just enough to hold on until they see the risen Lord. He says, you're going to lose heart, but don't lose sight of the mission. You don't need to fear. Take heart. And so this is the good news I want you to hear this morning. And I'm, I'm going to hit on this a bunch of times. You come back to the same point. And so if you're a note taker and you want to know, okay, what, what, are the, what are the big points? It's this one. You can put this, write this down, you can set it down if you want. If you want to keep taking notes, you can keep taking notes. I'm not going to discourage you from that. But it's this. The fear of rejection is overcome by living on mission. The fear of rejection is overcome by living on mission. You see, when you're living on mission, when you're living with purpose, you keep the goal in sight, right? You know where you're going. Life without a mission it's like a ship on the sea without navigation, being tossed about. You'll end up somewhere, maybe, 
But, but there's no direction, there's no guiding. Life without mission is like a, a ship on the sea with no navigation. Life with mission, with purpose, is like a train on the tracks continuing to press on. Where the path is laid, you know, there's my destination, here's how I'm getting there, I'm, I'm going all out. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, how, how the fear of rejection is overcome by living on mission. So my, my mission when I was a young lad, probably about junior high and senior high uh, age range, um, my, my mission was to be successful in life. And, and I define that in financial terms. And um, I'm sure part of it was, okay, I can go do all these fun things. But another part of it was I wanted to be able to care for my, my, my immediate family and then uh, care for others. So this is how I was raised, is that we, we, we live as a community. And so uh, at that point in my life, my mission was to be successful financially. And I, I enjoy math, I enjoy the sciences, and, and so that kind of led me down, this, okay, well, where can I make a lot of money in, in, in that kind of realm? And I had some interest in, in the medical field, and so uh, all of a sudden I landed on this desire to either be a doctor or even like a biomedical engineer and, and kind of have some hands in that, in that world. As I approached my high school years, going into my freshman year, um, I applied to the Illinois Math and Science Academy. Basically, it's, it's a high school that really focuses in on the math and science uh, realm of, of your education. And I'm like, I'm a shoe-in. This is stuff that I, just, I, I, I think about math well. I just can figure it out. I, of course, they're going to take me. I got rejected. I, I didn't make it in. And that was a defining moment in one sense because it was just, okay, well, hang on a sec. Maybe, maybe I'm not all that I thought I was. But it didn't, didn't deter me. Because I was living on mission. I, I knew what the end goal was. And so I, I took the math and science classes I could take in, in my local high school, where, where I ended up um, you know, doing all four years. And I still invested myself in that. And I still pursued this, this path of wanting to be a biomedical engineer. So now, since then, my understanding and my definition of what success is have changed. My, my mission in life has changed. But that's just one example how when there's purpose, when you have a goal of what you're shooting for, even when you face rejection, even though I got denied from that, it didn't deter me from my goal. I just continued in that. Now again, as you can see, that can change. What your goal is, what your mission life is, it can change, it can be broadened, it can be expanded. So what's your mission in life? Well, for me, I've found that true life is found in Jesus. I found that true life is found in Jesus, and so my mission in life is to be a disciple of Jesus. And you say, well, that's too simplistic, Steve. Maybe it seems that way, but when you begin to unpack what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what that looks like, and what that calls me to do as far as how I'm going to be a husband, and how I'm going to be a father, how I'm going to be a worker in the community, how I'm going to be a community member, how I'm going to be a citizen, how I'm going to be a friend, how I'm going to be all these things. It begins, okay, well, that informs those things. The mission, the goal, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, helps me to navigate all those things and, and press on. And so even if I face rejection, oh, I know where the goal is. I can keep pressing forward. See, I believe that true life is found in Jesus because I believe that he is Lord and Savior. He is the leader of our lives and the forgiver of our sins. I believe he's that because I believe that he is God. So you say, well, why, why do you believe that? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't believe that, and that's okay. Meadowland Church is a safe place to not believe what we believe. It's a safe place to come and say, hey, I have questions, I have doubts, I want to get to know who Jesus is more. It's a safe place to do that. You are welcome in this place, even if you aren't at a place where you can say, Jesus, I believe you are Lord and Savior. Here's some of the reasons why I believe this. I believe it from an intellectual standpoint. If we just take a step back from the Bible for a moment, maybe you don't believe that it's the, the inspired word of God. 
But if we, if we diminish it down to just simply a historical record, simply a, a book from, uh, uh, get, you know, bunch of books brought together to form this one book from the days of antiquity. If we look at it from that perspective, compared to other uh, uh, books that we would hold up and say, okay, we can trust this record, the Bible blows them out of the water when it comes to historical accuracy. When it comes to historical accuracy, it blows them out of the water. Whether you are an atheist or whether you are a, a, a Christian, no matter where you stand with God, any scholar worth, worth their own weight, any historical scholar will say, yeah, we have to acknowledge that, okay, what we have is true to what was written compared to, you know, we know that to be true more than any other text from history than we have. And so we can trust this from a historical perspective. And, and so then we begin to read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in the book of Acts where we see the early church beginning, and we see eyewitness accounts of what happened with Jesus this man who claimed to be God, this man who died on a cross, this man who was buried in a tomb, this man who appeared as the risen Jesus to hundreds of people. And we read their eyewitness account. And as I look through all that, and as I weigh the evidence, as I say, okay, well, maybe this is what happened. Well, no, that probably isn't this because you begin to unpack that. The more I look at that, I see from an intellectual standpoint, it leads me to the conclusion that Jesus was who he said he was. And so for me in my life, that's why what he says matters. Because I, I believe he is God. I believe he proved himself to be God. I believe he is Lord and Savior. I, I believe this experientially. As we read through Scripture, we see that when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside us and, and dwells in us a, as a counselor of sorts. Some of the things the Holy Spirit does in our life is, is to encourage us, is to convict us of sin, and to empower us in this life. And so as I look at my life, there are experiences I've done that I can see this is the empowerment of God through the Holy Spirit in my life that led me to do this. If I can be transparent with you for a moment. When I was in high school, um, aside from the whole wanting to be a biomedical engineer, uh, I had my own Playboy subscription. And it was something, it was kind of those things where you know, I had it, and, and I was about six, seven months into it, and so I had my, my little stack going, and um, I, I was growing in my faith and, and understanding what it meant to be a follower of God, and um, not enough to the point where I, I, I hadn't pursued that yet. Um, but somewhere about that six, seven month of that one-year subscription, God, God got a hold of my heart. And he started convicting me of that sin of, of lust and, and pornography. And it just continued to just kind of sit on my heart to the point where about a month later, I'm like, this, this stack doesn't honor God. This, this is sin, this is filth, this is garbage. And so uh, by God's empowerment, not by my own, I said, okay, I'm done with that, and, and throw it away, cancel the subscription, and be done with that. That was not my own credit. That's not, hey, look how awesome I am. That was the Holy Spirit working in me that brought about that life change. So I can see some of those experiences in my life of what God has done. I don't speak well. First time I talked to my mother-in-law, before she was my mother-in-law, I, I was dating Sarah, and was, I don't remember why I was talking to her mom. It was the first time I was having a conversation with her mom over the phone. Had a lovely, pleasant conversation. I was there with Sarah. I handed the phone back to, to Sarah. Sarah's mom, Sarah told me this because I wasn't hearing the other side of the conversation. The first things that Sarah, Sarah's mom said to Sarah was, I have no idea what he said. <laughs> no idea. You ask any of my family or friends, I mumble, I, I, I don't enunciate well, I, I don't talk goodly. <laughs> and yet God is using me to communicate his word to others, both in, in upfront large formats and in personal one-on-one. -on -one. Is that me? Is that, hey, look how I've overcome it? No, that, that's God working in my life. That's me being empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And so I've experienced, those are just two out of, out of, out of my history. They're experiences I can say, you know what, I can only attribute this to God. A high school boy being able to throw out pornography, that's a miracle right there. <laughs> I can only attribute that to the work of God. So I believe intellectually that Jesus is Lord. I believe experientially. Again, this isn't all-inclusive, all but here's just another reason why I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe relationally. Because we can have a relationship with God through his word. We can read about what he says and, and who he is. And we can have a relationship with God through prayer. We can have a relationship with other people who know and love God. Proverbs would say, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Think of two blades cutting against each other, leaving each other sharper as a result. In the same way, uh, two believers in Christ can come together and, and live their lives in a way where they are building each other up. And as I see these relationships, I see the genuineness of that. Again, I just ask why I, I believe that Jesus is God. And I believe what he said was true. And so I found true life in Jesus. So I didn't want to become a pastor because, hey, I like how the church is set up and I want to continue uh, those structures. Or, hey, you know, I, I can lead some people and that'd be kind of fun. I got into being a pastor because, man, Jesus got a hold of my life and I found this, this is true life. And I wanted to share that with others. I began to see how he was working in my life to allow that to happen and to work through me in the lives of students and then also into their parents and then now in all generations. So who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? I, I, I know who I say that he is. But who do you say? And if, you, if you've never examined who he is or you've never examined his claims, let's begin that journey today. Begin to look at, at who this person of Jesus is because if someone claims to be God and they're not, we can dismiss them as a kook. But if someone claims to be God and they are, then what they say should have impact in our life, Right? And if someone claims to be God and they're not, we can't really just hold them up as a good teacher, can we? You ever heard someone say, well, I don't really believe Jesus was God, but I believe he was a good teacher. If you hold to that view, it doesn't make sense logically. I mean that with all love, all love for you. It doesn't make sense logically. For Jesus to make the claims that he made, to be able to say, I forgive of sin in a culture where the only one that could forgive sin was God. To be able to say that is saying, I am God. And so if you say, oh, I don't believe he was God, then he's crazy, right? So you can't say, oh, I just think he was a good teacher. And so if, if you came in here this morning just with, a, with the, the belief that Jesus was just a good teacher, I'd encourage you to just dig in a little bit, examine a little more, ask some more questions, and let's come to a place where we can see Jesus for who he is, and each one of us can make that decision. Do I believe that he was God? Do I trust in him as my Lord, the leader of my life, and as my Savior, the forgiver of my sins? So if you're a follower of Jesus, what is our mission? If we want to overcome the fear of rejection by living on mission, what is the mission in, in our lives as followers of Jesus? Well, ultimately, it's the mission of the church, right? Because the church is the body of believers. So what, what is the mission of the church? Here at Meadowland, we say it this way. We say, uh, Meadowland exists to see lives changed by Jesus and disciples of Jesus made. And, and all that is is just... Uh, kind of a, a simplified wording of what you see in Matthew 28. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. It's recorded as it's his last recorded words before he ascends into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he says this to his disciples. This is after he went to the cross, after he rose from the grave, after he's appeared to them, he says this. And Jesus, said, uh, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have, uh, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so he gave them this commission. And so the primary mission of the church, some people might say, well, it's to make converts, right? It's, it's to bring people to Christianity. That's a piece of it. The primary mission is to go and make disciples, right? Disciples are different than converts. It's one thing to say, okay, I believe Jesus is Lord, but a, a disciple is someone who then says, okay, now I want to go and, and learn what it means to be like Jesus. See, when Jesus died on the cross, the disciples lost sight of the mission. Jesus was rejected as the Messiah by many and by those who had the authority in, in that world but that were allowed the authority by God to crucify him. And so he died. He was rejected. And the disciples scattered. They lost sight of the mission. And they went back to the mission they knew before that. Many of them just went back to fishing because they didn't know what else to do. But then Jesus appears before them alive as the risen Jesus commissions them before he leaves and says, hey, here's what you're to go do. Here is your mission. See, the fear of rejection is overcome by living on mission. It doesn't remove the fear, the fear of rejection. That's kind of one of the bummers in this series as we've walked through the fear of the unknown, as we've talked about the fear of failure. Once we know how to deal with them, it doesn't remove them, right? We kind of wish, it's like, can't we just get rid of this? Get rid of these things? They're going to happen. They're going to be here. We actually see that uh, in John 15. If you've got your Bibles, want to open up John chapter 15. That's where we're going to be for the rest of our time here this morning. And John 15, 8 starts this way. If the world hates you, this is the words of Jesus to his disciples, if the world hates you, and if we go back in the context of this if there, um, it's one that's almost like saying since. It's an expectation of um, something that's going to happen. So you could almost say, since the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you, is what the rest of 18 says there. Basically he's saying, you're going to get rejected. People are going to hate you if you live for me. If you live on mission for me, the world rejected me, they're going to reject you. It's not just an if, but it's a know that this is going to happen. If we continue in John 15, we'll see this term, the world. And in this context, what Jesus means when he's talking about the world, he's talking about those uh, who are part of society who are living apart from God. Okay, so those who are living apart from God. Let's read John 15, 18 to 21. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute, persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Referring to the Father there. So as we unpack this, we see three reasons why we will be rejected if we choose to live for Jesus. If you say, hey, I, I want to overcome the fear of rejection in my life, and I'm going to live on mission, I want my mission to be the mission of Jesus. If you do that, if we trust God's word, we'll be hated. We will experience rejection. We'll be able to overcome it because Christ has overcome the world, right? But it will happen. Reason number one we see in verse 19, we'll be rejected because we are not of this world anymore. We are not of this world anymore. When we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are forever changed. And we're called to live differently. 
some pastors would say, well, we're saints. So I don't feel like a saint. Well, I, I know some Christians that aren't saints. Again, this is one of the things where this is what God calls us up to and then uh, is patient with us and works in our lives to help make us to what he calls us. And so we can ask the question of ourselves, do, do we live differently? Does my life look any different from that of those around me? What, what am I learning? What am I growing in, in my understanding of God? Am I being rejected because I don't, I'm not part of the world anymore? It's not a sense where I've disengaged, but it's where I'm not like the world anymore. I don't find value in the things the world finds value in, but I find value in Christ. So do, do you live differently? But the fear of rejection is overcome by living on mission. So even though you might be hated because you are no longer, uh, um, part of, you are no longer of the world, but the fear of rejection is overcome by living on mission. We'll be rejected, second reason we see in verse 20. We'll be rejected because of our association with Jesus, right? Just because we're associated with him, we'll, we'll be rejected. We see this, uh, again, when, when Jesus is uh, going to trial before he's going to the cross. Uh, Peter is kind of following in the shadows, and all of a sudden, uh, a young servant girl notices him and says, hey, you're one of those disciples, aren't you? He's like, no, no, not me. I'm not, I'm not your guy. No, no, I, I saw you with him. You're, you're one of the guys that hangs out with Jesus. The guy we're about to crucify, you know, where he's going through all these false trials. No, no, not me. Now, third time he says, No, you don't, I don't know the man. He rejects him. He, he didn't want to be associated with him because he knew that not only was Jesus rejected, but he would be rejected because he was tied to Jesus. But then we see this beautiful exchange where after Jesus rises from the grave, he goes to where Peter is at, and Peter's out fishing, and he has this conversation with Peter and says, Do you love me? He says, Yes, you know that I love you. He says, Then feed my sheep. And he reinstates him. He says it three times. He says, go and be about my mission. Care for my people. Go and make disciples, in essence, is what he's saying there. So do those in your, in your life know that you are with Jesus? Do, do they know that you are associated with Jesus? Do you, do you associate yourself with Jesus? Because the fear of rejection is overcome by living on mission. The third reason we get rejected that we see here in this verse is verse 21. We get rejected because the world does not know God. They don't know God. Jesus is saying, hey, they've rejected, they, they've hated me because they don't know the one who sent me. They don't know the Father. And this one is, is interesting. Because when we begin to understand the why behind why we're rejected, it helps us move to a place of compassion. If we understand that people will hate us for being a Christian, for being a Christ follower, because they don't know God, that can help us to soften our hearts to move from a place of, of defensiveness to a place of compassion. I talked about this briefly last week where we saw a beautiful picture of compassion in Charleston uh, where in, in the wake of a horrible tragedy, a horrible tragedy where um, fueled by, by a hate for a race, a man walked into a church and, and killed nine people. That even though they weren't killed for their faith, they're killed because of their race. Because of their faith, they were able to show compassion because in essence saying, we know this guy did this because he doesn't know God. And so yes, there's still consequences for his actions, as, as there rightly should be. But there's also grace offered. They say, we forgive you. In the midst of their tears, in the midst of their sorrow, they were able to say, we forgive you. Because I believe, because they knew God, they were able to have compassion on those who don't know God. Let me give you another example of this. At one point in his ministry, Jesus is, is coming to Jerusalem and it says he, he looks out over the city. And do you know what his response is when he looks out over Jerusalem? 
he weeps. He weeps, he, he cries, because he knows that there is somebody there who don't know him, who don't know God. And it breaks his heart and it moves him to a place of weeping for them. Do we have that same heart? Do we have that same heartbreak of compassion? Or do we reply with hate and rejection with our own brand of hate and rejection? This is is tough stuff we're talking about here, right? When you feel rejected, when you feel like someone hates you, you want to fire back, right? But if we're living on mission, we want to have the heart of God and show a heart of compassion. Ed Ed Stetzer is a statistician, a a pastor, and a, a leader with Lifeway um, and uh, the, the Southern Baptist uh, Conference, um, he makes this statement here as he's talking to a group of pastors and, and just Christians. He says, you cannot hate a people and reach a people at the same time. You cannot hate a people and reach a people at the same time. What is your heart for your community? Are we living on mission? Are we overcoming the fear of rejection by living on the mission of God? in a way that softens our heart to where our heart breaks for our community. To where even those that would hate us, to those who would reject us, we're able to show love and compassion because of a heart to, desire, heart to see them come to know Jesus. The fear of rejection is overcome by living on mission. Let me close with this. What does it look like to live on mission? What does it look like to live on mission? Well, let's go back to the mission of the church. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them the things I have commanded you. If we break that down, we have four verbs in there. Go. Okay, so first of all, what does it mean to live on mission? First step is go. We talk about how environments matter here. We do silly things like let's, do, let's grill up some donuts to be able to create a place where you can bring your family and friends to come and, and hear the offensive message of the gospel. But that's just a piece of it. That, that's, hey, why don't you come here and hear about God? But we're also, we, we need to go. We need to go into our friends' lives, into our coworkers' lives. We need to be a part of our communities. What are the inroads that you have in your life? Maybe it's through, uh, you know, if your kids are involved in, in, in sports or in the school system, maybe there are some inroads. Maybe it's through your hobbies or the things that you do on the side. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about how if you want that new bass boat, you can do ministry in a bass boat. Maybe, you know, maybe that's uh, your inroad to the community. What are your inroads where you're connecting with others in a way where you can share uh, the hope that you have in Christ? How are you going? Because that's what it looks like to live on mission. When we look at Matthew 28, as we go, we make, we make disciples of all nations. Just this acknowledgement that life is a journey, and so we need to walk together. And so are you sharing your story? I think part of one, one easy way we can make a disciple is to share how we came to be one. Hey, can, can I tell you about what God did in my life? So let us go, let us make, let us baptize. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here at Meadowland, we're, we're pretty straightforward about baptism. Um, in, in one perspective, in a cultural perspective, it seems kind of weird. I, I, I get that. If you have not grown up in the church, this concept of baptism may seem odd. Hey, uh, on the 26th of, of July, we're going to fill a horse trough full of water, and we're going to invite people who have trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior to come sit in the water, and then I'm going to dunk them under. I might hold some under a little longer, make sure it takes. And then bring them back up. I'm going to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we'll bring you up. And then we're all going to cheer and go nuts because it's an amazing thing that just happened. If you don't understand what that represents, it seems kind of weird, right? 
But we're called to go and baptize others because there's significance. We can connect with God where, where Jesus died, was buried, and, and rose again. There's a symbolic aspect when we're baptized where we're dying and going under the water and coming back up where we, we share in that with him. It's symbolic of that. But also, it's a step of obedience. Because we see right here in Matthew 28, we're called to go and baptize. So it's not just obedience of those who are being baptized, but it's obedience of us as a church to say, let's be about, excuse me, let's be about baptizing, right? And when we take those steps of obedience, it becomes easier and easier to surrender to God because we've taken those steps. So what does it look like to live on mission? Let us go out into our communities. Let us make disciples by sharing our stories of what God is doing in our lives. Let us baptize those who trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If, if you want to be baptized, if, if you are a follower of Jesus and have not been baptized, um, July 26th is your day. It's going to be here at the barn. We're going to do a potluck, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to have food, all that kind of stuff. We're going to celebrate what God is doing here in this place. If you want to be baptized or if you have questions, if you're unsure, put out your communication card, put it in the offering in a moment. And then we will uh, connect with you about that. And the final verb, go make, baptize, teach. Teaching them to observe, observe all that I have commanded you. That there's more for us to learn. If you want to live on mission, let us remain humble and teachable and acknowledge that there is more for us to learn. So can we, church, agree to go and be on mission so that we can overcome the fear of rejection? Because the mission field is here and now. It, it, it is here and now. If you, if you were curious where where is the mission where do we what state do i have to go what country do i have to go to now to go live on mission you don't have to go anywhere but your own backyard but your own neighborhood what we're seeing that in, in the world today we, we had uh things come by this week that have have our, our, our society just um, at odds with each other we see all, all this rejection uh, on both sides of the aisle uh, an ever-changing world does not change who god is there is no court, no law, or government verdict that will change what God has said to be true. Now, some of you hear that, and you realize I'm, I'm referring to some of the decisions that was made on, on, on gay marriage. And some of you hear that when you say, okay, yeah, so no court can ever change what, what God has said, and what, what God has, has called us to love others. And, and so, yeah, okay, you know, no matter what, they say, okay, well, still we're celebrating the fact that, we're, that there's love here but others are saying oh no hey god says we're also that the, the 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 act of homosexuality w- w- is sin and so um you know but that that hasn't changed and so i can celebrate that we kind of have people on on two sides of the aisle here what i'm saying is that god is still god and we are about the mission of god which is the gospel and that hasn't changed that hasn't changed. What does that look like? Well, in addition, like the go make disciples, you know, uh, go uh, make disciples, baptize, teach. Another way we can look at it, we talked about this uh, a few months back, is putting the love of God into action by loving God and by loving people. And so when it comes to this issue, regardless of what the decision would have been, whether it was the way that it came down or if it would have been the opposite decision when it came to the Supreme Court decision on, on gay marriage, regardless of what the decision is or was or would have been, our response should be the same, to go forward with the gospel. And what does that look like? It looks like loving God and loving others. And so if you meet someone uh, or if you know people in your life that, that are living a homosexual lifestyle, that don't know God, what should we do? How should we respond? We should show them the love of God. And see, this is where we, we mix it up sometimes. We get confused about living on mission. We place the protection of our Christian ideals above the mission. 
There's nothing wrong, especially when you live in a democracy where we all have a say, we all have a vote. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, let's see these Christian values and ideals expressed in our laws. Uh, Even from a standpoint of, hey, we believe from a Christian perspective that these are are healthy for us and, and good for us as a society. And so there's nothing wrong for desiring that or pursuing that. But we've got to keep the mission first, and the mission first is the gospel. The only battle that we're called to fight as a Christian is to go and share the gospel. And that the calls us to stand up for the least, the calls us to other action. I'm not saying that that's the only action we take. But we've got to keep the mission first of loving God and loving others. Sometimes we get mixed up, we get confused about living on mission. We can place protection of our own Christian values before the mission. We can run around telling those who are not under the law of God. As we look at our city, those who don't know God, we run around telling them, here's what God says you can't do, and here's why you're sinning, all, all these different things. And it leaves people feeling rejected. And I'm not saying that we, we have to, to shy away from our values. As a church, we, we hold the Word of God to a high esteem. And as I read through the Word of God, as, as uh, a church, as we read through the Word of God, we see a God who says the act of homosexuality is, is sin. But we also see a God who says, love me and love others as you take the gospel. And so many times we start with that, that statement of, of uh, homosexuality is sin, but we, we, we leave out the love part. And so instead of having a focus on the things that we reject, Let's turn our focus to what we offer. Let's turn our focus to what we offer. What do we offer a hurting society that needs Jesus? We offer them the truth of Jesus. We embrace them. Even if we don't fully agree with what they agree with, or, or you know, if we don't even fully yet agree with what, in the, this room, if you all don't agree on, on some things, let us agree on the mission of God and take it out to our, our, our society, take it out to our culture, take it out to our communities by showing the love of God by loving others because the fear of rejection is overcome by living on mission uh, in the weeks ahead if you have questions on just kind of um, from, a, from a how do we tangibly move forward on some of these things uh, we'll, we'll post some things on social media some uh, you know people much smarter than me I put together some great responses to that stuff that just have, have such a heart of love and compassion while also standing on truth and, and how to uh, walk with those together and even understand there's still all these questions that can come up but we'll be posting some of that in the week ahead and so um, you can find us online on Facebook meadowlandchurch.org is the, the website and we'll put some more stuff out there um, the fear of rejection is overcome. We live on mission for God. Let us pray. Father God, you are an amazing God, and we just love you so much. We thank you that you choose to use us. We thank you that, that we're your instrument in, in seeing the mission take place, that you share your message through us. We love you, Father God. I pray that you would work in this place and continue to work in this place in the ways you have been. Help us to to be equipped and empowered by your Holy Spirit to be sent out from this place to go and share your gospel. That for those who don't know you, Father, we would show your love. That we would trust that the Holy Spirit would do the work of bringing about life change as we humbly teach each other and learn from each other and grow in an understanding of you and of your word. Let's keep the gospel first and foremost. Let's be about your mission. Thank you, Father, you choose to use us. We thank you that you offer us salvation and forgiveness in Jesus. We thank you that you're patient with us, Father, as we figure it all out. Praise all in your name. Amen.